Hi, I'm Norma Kamali, and you're listening to the Norma Life Podcast, where we will be having in-depth conversations about healthy lifestyle, the three pillars, sleep, diet, exercise, and wellness, as well as aging with power, new technology, and of course, fashion and beauty, and so much more. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, and if you like, give us a five-star review. Visit me at normakamali.com and normalife.com and be sure to check back regularly for all the latest. Thank you and please enjoy the podcast. Christine Barbaric is the global editor-in-chief and co-founder of the award-winning women's media entertainment company, Refinery29, which has a footprint of 250 million visitors across platforms globally. She is also the New York Times best-selling author of Style Stalking and the creator-host of the acclaimed podcast, Unstyled. Her writing has appeared in T Magazine, Dwell, Domino, Travel and Leisure, among other titles. In 2017, Christine became the first ever mentor in residence at SCAD, the Savannah College of Art and Design, and was also selected as a fellow for the Edith Wharton Writers in Residence program. She was named a top female in media on the Ad Week Disruptors list. One of the 30 most intriguing people in media by MIN was included in Ad Week's 2019 Creative 100 list as one of the most fascinating people in marketing, media, and culture, and has also been honored as a pioneer in media by Folio 100. Christine holds an honorary doctorate from her alma mater, SUNY Oswego, and she lives in Brooklyn. Christine is a very special person, someone I absolutely love, and I'm so happy to share this podcast with you. I suppose it would be fair for you first to sort of identify yourself and Mm -hmm. and how you see who you are today? Well, um, my name is Christine Barbrick, and um, professionally, I'm the co-founder of Refinery29 and global editor-in-chief, and um, we started our company 15 years ago, the dawn of like, the internet, you know, as we know it today. I would define myself, though, in terms of just occupation and just my vocation. I'm, I'm an editor and a writer. That's really what I do. And I think that those skills really... They adapt, and, and I kind of interpret them in different ways depending on what it is I'm, I'm working on. But those skills are really like my, my right and my left hand. And we discovered each other, and I just automatically fell in love with you and felt such a kinship. I love... Where's the Kleenex? I mean, we and, have no, to make sure we I have Kleenex here. I know. about you. I love... Your humor, more than anything, because I think there's very little humor in the world, and your brilliance and your perception of human beings. Are you hearing this? I mean, this is... No, I I have to say it because I know so many women, and I've told you this, I've met so many women in the last 52 years of my career. I'm getting this to you already. And I think you are extraordinary and super special, 
And one of the reasons I really wanted to do this podcast with you is because of your take on life, mm-hmm. but also your unique approach to life and what you have experienced from the dawn of the internet and having a voice in a, in a place that didn't exist and creating something that nobody experienced before and really pulling people to you. Your writing is so extraordinary in your vision about life. But even to the last year or two years, your unique take on life has once again manifested in a way that I think is so important for you to share. Mm -hmm. I think you're very positive, you're very hopeful, and your story is just so magnificent. And I even love you more if that's possible. (laughs) Um, Thank you. That makes me really emotional, even just to hear you even say that. I I mean, just to honor you for one second, but I met Norma on a photo shoot we were doing a feature about you on Refinery29 and I wanted to go to the shoot. I've obviously been a follower and a fan of yours for many, many years. I mean, even when I was, you know, a young woman and dreamed of wearing your clothes and also just really when I thought of the fashion industry in New York, I thought of you always. It wasn't any other designer. I just always thought of you as being this fixture and a person that really anchored what fashion meant to me in the industry. And um, on the shoot, I'll make the story really brief because the most important point about this is that we were kind of talking in between shots very casually. And I will never forget the moment that you were kind of posing and you, you know, you've been photographed a ton. And I just remember it like it was yesterday. You were kind of like, you know, just like leaning into the, into the picture and then all of a sudden you were like, oh, wait a minute. And you turned around and you looked at me and you were like, can we just talk a little bit after this, after this is all over? And I just remember how present you were. You were really present, and, and you are somebody that I really try to emulate in that you are curious, care. I think you pay attention to the world around you because you really care about your place in it, and that's something I always want to learn more about and the kind of impact I have, you know, whether it's through my work or just being... Yeah. being in the room. Which you do. And you mentor so many young women. It's so great. It's brilliant. I do, but I think it's also important when I think about me at my best and me at my worst, I have to think about the moments when parts of me, and we've one of the things I think that has linked us is our, I wouldn't call it sentimentality, but our interest in kind of excavating where we came from and how that has shaped us today. Right. Yeah. And also how we interact with people. And I think that I've grown into a a very compassionate mentor because I think I've tried to have compassion for myself throughout the journey Mm -hmm. as well and not always having the tools or knowing what my role has been in certain situations. But I think I have a lot more confidence now and also a lot more confidence in the people around me. But I think what you are referring to is the, the very sort of like unexpected event of me having a child yes. at 49, which was just last year. I turned 50 two or three months after um, mm-hmm. Rafi was born. I think it was two and a half months. And um, Rafi is now a year and a month, and it's still kind of settling in. And you were one of the people that really believed in 
me just doing this, becoming a parent mm. at this stage of life. And I think it was because you know me well enough to know that I wasn't doing it because I felt like I had to or I should. I was doing it because I had a genuine instinct that this was the right path yeah. for myself. And I don't think that, and I think what's really important to mention is that I didn't have that same feeling when I was younger and when I probably could have or should have had a baby with a lot less, when I would have needed a lot less um, intervention. But, um, but everybody, the, I think the important thing to think about is everybody has a different schedule. They and, do. And not being pressured to do things when everybody else is, is, everybody, is hard. Everybody having a different schedule is probably all you need to have in terms of reminders on your medicine cabinet or in, in your journal because probably more pressure, unnecessary pressure and stress and resentment comes from feeling like you are on someone else's schedule and not your own. Yeah, and one of the things that I think is important in this story that you're about to tell is that understanding that this is your individual path and the bravery to take that path and explore it without any reference to anything or anybody, really. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what the first sort of feeling was when you found out that you actually were going to have a baby. So mm -hmm. what was that sort of... I, I have a sense of it from our conversations, but there's a real come-to-Jesus moment when you find out that something that you really were wanting was actually going to happen, but holy crap, who's ever done this that in, is like near and dear? I think the universal lessons that it doesn't matter what kind of challenge you're going through in your life. I think that the thing, and again, I think that this is something that connects us as friends and more than friends, as like, you know, sort of soulmates in a way, is this paying attention to the sort of flow of events. And I didn't even start trying to have a child until I was 41. That was my first pregnancy, which is already highly unlikely. You know, I, I was, anything before that, if I, if I had a pregnancy scare, I was terrified and, and not prepared at all. <laughs> right. And I was in a committed relationship, so it's, it was highly unusual. But that was when I was ready, and that was when I started. And I had a very complicated journey. I didn't have, I had an interesting um, sort of situation medically where I didn't have any problem getting pregnant. I just had a problem staying pregnant. And there were a few pregnancies that actually were considered normal. And we didn't know why I was not able to hold those pregnancies. And, um, and I think that there were a few things that were beyond my control that happened that occurred throughout this timeline that kind of re-engaged me to this purpose and made me keep going. Because I probably would have given up. I mean, I think at a few of our sort of catch-ups, mm -hmm. I wasn't really sure if being a parent was a calling for mm -hmm. me. I was, I thought it was, but it still was not crystal clear completely in the same way being an editor, you know, was and being in this mm -hmm. world that I operate in professionally. And I wasn't really sure. And there were a few things that happened, but two in particular was my friend Pam Johnston, who, who passed away. Before she got sick, she emailed me, and I still have this email from her, saying, um, and she didn't have children, and it wasn't like, some people that have kids are like really pushing you to sort of mm -hmm. like join their team, and they're like, it's great, right. you know, you can right. overcome anything, mm -hmm. and then, 
your friends that don't have children are like, oh, you know. <laughs> but you'll be, you know, you'll 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 have your vacations to yourself, right. and like you'll have all this time to read and 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 write your book, and and there's like there's obviously advantages and disadvantages to both situations. But she sent me this email and said I had a dream last night about you, and basically in just one paragraph detailed this dream and described to a, a letter the the home that I now live in with my husband, which I was not living in then, and that I had two children, and I only have one, and um, that I was holding one, but she wasn't sure if the other child was a friend of ours. She was there. And I just remembered that, and I, I, I included that in one of the essays that I wrote about my journey, you know, sort of experiencing loss and, and miscarriages and the unknowingness of it all. And um, because fertility is like, I had one therapist tell me that birth is unknown. You just, doctors can, they can mm -hmm. think that they know everything, but it is, there is, I call it the God factor because it's just, there is an element of birth that is so far beyond anything yeah. medical. It is just magic. Yeah. It is sort of destiny. It's, I don't know what you, doesn't matter what religion yeah. you are, if you're spiritual or you're not. There is something very untouchable about it that is just mm. you either get it or you don't. Yeah. And I think that that was sort of a this sort of interaction with that kind of magic. And then the second thing that happened was that same essay that I mentioned Pam in at the very end of that essay, referencing that dream. A doctor reached out to me and said, someone passed along your essay to me. He hadn't even read it. Someone had passed it to him and said, you might want to work with this person. And he said, I think you might have an immunological disorder. And I, that's what I specialize in, if you ever feel like it. He wasn't pushy. He just said, you know, why don't you call me? And I didn't call him for about six months, I think. I just was really unsure if I could keep going on this path. I had already had five or six miscarriages at that point. And I, let's also talk about the harsh reality of the cost of this, not yeah, just physically. Yeah, but that's definitely a big factor. Our savings was completely drained, wow. and we didn't have a real sort of course forward to even continue if we wanted to. We didn't know how we were going to do it. And um, I met with this wonderful, wonderful doctor eventually, Dr. Jeffrey Braverman, who did a whole sort of like blood workup on me, and he found a few, a few different markers that made him think that I had asymptomatic endometriosis. And um, we did a laparoscopic surgery, and I did. And he treated it, and... I think not even a year later, I was pregnant with my daughter and Rafi. And then the other strange thing is when we're talking about magic is that he suddenly died six months later <gasps> after mm. Rafi was born. And he was a young man, and no one knew he was ill. And I feel as though he kind of entered the picture just in time to help Rafi, yeah. to open that door for Rafi to, to come through. And, and honestly... I think that we all have those kinds of experiences with just something kind of beyond our totally. reach. And Rafi was <laughs> waiting to come to you, really. She, I believe so strongly that there's more, there's a magic, and there's Rafi needed to be your daughter, be with your fantastic husband, who was just amazing, and to be your child for her purpose. I think that that's definitely what happens for all of us, whether it's good, bad, difficult, great. That combination of 
personalities and sort of instinct really creates the childhood where each meant to have. And she definitely was waiting, and he was there to bring her to you. It's all like a, a plan that the universe has that we have nothing to do with except to care to have that happen, to, to have the hope for it. And to be like present in your own experience. Yeah. And I think the thing that I wasn't prepared for, but that she reminded me, and that you just mentioned in a way was, you know, bringing Rafi in wasn't just about me. I mean, the relationship that she has with my husband. They're, they're quite possibly more connected and soulmates than right. we even are. And I think we don't realize sometimes is that in our sort of pursuit of overcoming these enormous obstacles, we set off this chain of events for other people that we don't even, we hadn't even intended, right. you know? And I think that that was the thing that was so astonishing to me is that I also unknowingly set off a chain of events right. for other women that were maybe in a difficult position and not even just struggling with, you know, having a child, you know, at advanced maternal age, which is that, you know, which is a really mm -hmm. unsavory term that the medical industry gives to older women over 35, mm -hmm. if you can believe that, or geriatric pregnancy. I mean, Are can you, you believe? serious? Yes, it's called geriatric pregnancy, anybody that's over 35. I mean, this is really, no. yes, yes. I mean, talk about, yeah. talk about a way of, of the sort of degrees of misogyny mm -hmm. and just um, are really kind of stunning. But so what I'm really curious about is that, yes, you influenced a lot of women by this experience, but... Families, I would say, really. Yeah. I mean, tell us a little bit about that. What sort of chain reaction came about as a result of your experience? Well, I think, first of all, being honest, well, I wouldn't say honest, but sharing my experience. I think that it's something I'm very proud of, the work that we've done on Refinery29, talking about these stigmatized, you know, sort of experiences or parts of our lives, you know, whether it's mental health or mm -hmm. fertility fertility experiences and struggles. I don't even like to use the word infertility because there aren't that many people that are completely infertile. It's like most people sort of, you know, are somewhere on a mm -hmm. spectrum of fertility. I mean, and I think the fact that doctors often, you know, if you have, if you have challenges conceiving, you're infertile. And I think that that's a very negative, I think the language we use sometimes right. can be incredibly manipulative and change the way we think about our own sort of... Mm -hmm participation in these things. We already feel like we're, we're up against, an, you know, these sort of like obvious obstacles, but then it just puts all these other sort mm -hmm. of things in our path that we don't need, you know, yeah. and I think that it's so to try and create some clarity for people in that way and being honest about how I navigated it, even through the hardest times and, and also just like what the choices are. I think you know, there's, a, there's an organization that I love called Fertility IQ, and it's started by this um, wonderful couple, Deb and Jake, and they basically, because it didn't exist anymore, they created a database of sort of testimonials from real families, real mothers that had worked with different fertility doctors across the country, and just before people actually started, like, writing huge checks mm -hmm. and sort of, like, maxing out their credit cards, they could see, you know, what the different experiences were like with different doctors. That's great. Really yeah. amazing. And I think that, what do they call it, um, so necessity is the mother, is the mother mm -hmm. of invention. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. So I think the thing that was really a relief to me was to find community in my, in my sort of struggle and my pain and, and also just 
I'm still kind of not really on the other side of it. Still, I have a lot of residual sadness about like the journey that I had to mm-hmm. take. And Rafi came early. I mean, it didn't. I mean, my pregnancy did not come without risks. It was really frightening at certain moments. Um, she's fine, and and I'm fine, but. You know, I, I ended up having preeclampsia, you know, so I had to deliver her early. I had high blood pressure. You know, I told you mm-hmm. I, I had, I'm, I'm someone who doesn't like to be on medication. I had to right. be on blood pressure medication for a few weeks, and it was really scary. But, you know, I, it's the path I chose, and I, and I just had to figure out a way to do it really um, responsibly and, and to just, you'll be happy to know, I booked a cleanse at We Care in, in Palm Desert at the end of this month, at the end of December, Good. which I'm really looking forward to. And it's not even just about cleansing. It's just about being in that environment yeah. in the desert, you know, at the beginning of winter is just really good for me. Yeah. And um, Well, you've been through so much, really, I mean, on every level. And I think... Who hasn't, though? I mean, no, I honestly but, think but that... You're, you have a unique story that, again, is, I, I think, here's a fit. Somebody who, who could do this was chosen to do it. I don't think everybody does this. And I think the fact that you're able to tell the story about it adds another layer of why this particular situation is your story. I also think that there's a conversation here. You talked about the words that are used when it comes to age. And so, as you know, I'm really having a lot of conversation about aging with power. And in the process of doing this, and you and I have had these conversations, each decade really holds a series of experiences and many ways to get through it. And when you are in your 40s, about to be 50, there's a huge life experience that takes place. And that life experience was extraordinary for you. The life experience is usually, in one word, reinvention. Mm -hmm. And I believe that you are going through your reinvention. It goes to 55 you're going through your reinvention, but by adding a child to that, you've sort of created a new situation, a new experience that is uniquely yours. I would probably say it's rare. My, my, I think I told you my grandmother had my mother when she was 55, and my aunt had her daughter when she was 55. So at 55, I was like in a don't come near me. <laughs> I don't think I can deal with this. But we don't know other women who Mm-mm. had babies at 50. And so you are going through a huge... Can I say something about that? One of the things that was really difficult for me was I could not find any documentation publicly of any celebrities no. that had more than one miscarriage. That didn't now... Really? People, People didn't talk about their miscarriages until they had a healthy pregnancy. Really? Then they said, well, I had, a, I had had a miscarriage before. But I didn't know if I was going to get over that. I didn't know yeah. if I was going to be the person on the other side having the baby and then talking about mm-hmm. my loss. And I think that that's the thing that I think set a lot of people free. And I didn't realize that was going to happen when I talked about mine. I did it because I couldn't keep it inside anymore. And I felt I was so tired of telling sending these individual emails when people were asking how I was doing and if, if they were 
kind of like on the same page with me, I would share with mm-hmm. them what was going on. But a lot of people couldn't get their head around five miscarriages because yeah. they'd never heard it. But come to find out, as you know, many, yeah. many women have had many more miscarriages mm-hmm. than me. Yeah. It is not as, as uncommon as you, as you think it is because nobody talks about it. And I think that that is a, just a, a, a grave disadvantage for anybody because then there's no way to actually figure out where and how you can kind of mm-hmm. get to the next step. Because or to measure it for yourself. All you see yeah. is that you're just yeah. going to stop and it's a failure. Yeah. So. And, but then having a child, having that experience and having a child and going through a birth that was not easy, but having this beautiful, healthy, happy baby is just the miracle. It's the miracle of life. And it's your very special story that is so unique and hopeful. I really believe this idea of where we are in aging and what is possible and debunking a lot of the words and a lot of the myths about what's possible for women, Mm -hmm. the healthier women are and the more we care about how we take care of ourselves, I think there's an open story about what can be possible. You, You really were taking care of yourself, working out, being healthy. You made a conscious effort to really having a lifestyle that was healthy and right. I think if I ended up not having a child, I wanted to know that I did everything I could, that I tried um, as hard as I could, and I wouldn't feel like I had regrets. But there's two things I'd love to say in response to what you just said. One, I think that we would be surprised if we started to really pay attention to how many times, and you can probably remember them too in your life, when all of a sudden something is presented to you where you have the opportunity to change course dramatically change mm-hmm. course, mm-hmm. change your brand, so to speak. And it's, your, it's up to you to right. sort of choose that door and, or not. I think the thing with aging, though, that is really difficult is that as women, we have been sold a bill of goods over decades, you know, generations. It's been kind of conditioned in us that as we age, our opportunities diminish, mm-hmm. our value diminishes. So what happens when... And it's not as though the, those sort of like moments or opportunities diminish. We just fail to see them mm-hmm. because I think we just realize there's fear there. Right. There's so much fear that if we take a risk or we do something that is sort of against the kind of expectation of a middle-aged woman, which is essentially sort of like the cross, yeah. you know, the, the sort of the dividing line between being sort of youthful and and sort of like full of possibility and then the diminishing returns on that. And I just think that we can't be afraid. Mm-mm. I think we can't be afraid and that's why you and who you are and how you look and how you act and the things that you make and how you're you are seemingly fearless. I'm sure that you have fear, you know, in your life at certain moments and you confront it how you need to, but we need to see more role models like you because you And have, you. And you. Well, I am a product of you because I think we've been <laughs> friends now for a long time and I've been able to I can include you in a close circle of friends who help me to see that I could do this. It was harrowing and, and not a lot. I didn't have anybody to really look up to that had done this, you know, yes, but, it's, but you, a, it's amazing. 
It's well, amazing. Thank you. But I think that there are other kinds of things that come up for women, whether it's leaving a marriage that they're not happy mm -hmm. in or a job or moving away. Yeah. I think that we have to feel, and you're saying aging with power and aging with like real agency that you have choices mm -hmm. that just because you are a certain age doesn't mean that it's going to be a disaster so here's if you take he, a risk here's the here's what you've done from 45 let's say to 55 a lot of women are aged out of their jobs aged out of their marriages going through menopause without any sense of what's happening to them, fearful, many times starting to take medication that they have never taken because they can't deal with their mental and emotional well-being at the time. And how much your, your physical yes. ch the changes that change, happen. And you're physically changing, which menopause has a good deal to do with, but that's been happening gradually, but you're really sensitive. So that's what the population is going through. And you are having a baby. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, so what I'm saying to everyone by having you here is that I believe there is power in aging and there isn't a plan for everyone. We all have our individual plan. And you are an example of someone who is not afraid to well, I'm afraid all the time. We're not afraid to cry. or not afraid to say, this is what happened and these are the warts, but I'm doing my thing and I'm, I'm moving along and I'm going to share my story. And that story is so hopeful. It truly is. And the fact that you look the way you do, that you pop back into, had the baby, love this, this is so great for my life, and this is what I'm doing. And look at my fantastic husband who turned into, like, what is he with the baby, with the toys like, and the things that he's he He's like a super time. dad. He really and is. such a super dad that you've just defined something that is not a 50-year-old experience. But that's but important for young women to it's see that. Because I didn't really have those role models growing up. I mean, my mother had me when I was 24, and I saw how hard that was for her. You know, she made a lot of sacrifices early in her career and her life. And, and I think that, again, it's all about choice, and it's all about, mm -hmm. like, you know, I think knowing that we have our own path and we can follow that. But I think that what has been really gratifying to me was listening to that voice and listening and paying attention to those signs where I felt as though universe was sort of like mm -hmm. taking you there yeah yeah sort of nudging me along and saying it's going to be okay it's yeah. going to be okay and I think that the other thing that I think is interesting is um there's so much to be made around the difficulties with breastfeeding and and the stigma of breastfeeding and just like you know that like you're not allowed to talk about it and people are uncomfortable if they see someone breastfeeding in right. public and all this stuff around breastfeeding right. and I had so much I mean getting pregnant I was I was safely pregnant, Rafi was doing great, and then I started, you know, the immediately, you know, the anxiety started around month seven. I was like, oh my God, of course I'm going to have problems breastfeeding. It's going to be, of course that will be a disaster. Right. And it wasn't, it was fine. You know, I know that breastfeeding is, is hard for many, many people, and I sympathize because it's stressful. You're going through so many mm -hmm. hormonal changes anyway yeah. when you have a baby, 
So to have that, if the baby has trouble latching, or if you have engorgement issues or mastitis, it's like there's so many things that I had to get educated quickly about. But that's another thing. It's like a lot of people told me I would probably have problems breastfeeding because I was older. Mm. I made so much milk, and it was just, I, I, it was easy. I never got mastitis. It was fine. I breastfed her for seven months, and I was really proud of it. I even gave some people that needed milk milk. Oh, yes, it was just, it was really, yes, uh, friends of ours that, right. that had their, their child through um, a gestational carrier. You know, I gave her some of Rafi's oh, milk. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, so I just think that we don't know what we're capable yeah. of until we're there, and you've been a great example of this, is that I think that, yes, our biological age is part of who we are, but physically, we have so much control over yeah. our bodies and our minds, and it's hard, especially, you know, when we inherit and we bring all this garbage into this life with us from other generations mm -hmm. and from our, our families, and as much as we love them, we pick up bad habits from them sometimes, and think we have to relearn things occasionally and it's very difficult mm -hmm. and it's very helpful to find a partner that is sympathetic and works yeah. with you through those things. A partner is the word. It really is so much that and the fact that you have that allows you to be the person you are and always have He's been. my safe landing. He's, to he's so perfect. He's my safe landing and I think that he is a really kind person and it's important to say that I never imagined I would be with him or someone like him. He's quiet, he's reserved, you know, I'm yeah. I'm more outgoing and and I think that it's it's that I think the chemistry is yeah. right because I think that he has also allowed me to be who I needed to be and be in those ugly places that we have to go sometimes mm -hmm. when we're working through the the hardship. So so do you... Like, and I met him late in life, too. So I mean, I met him when I was like almost 40. Which is great, because yeah. then you know who you are. And unfortunately, of course, you know, I had to wait to be 65 to be ready. And we're not always ready. Yeah. We have to be ready. And it has to be... It has to feel right on every level for, for you to have a safe place and for him to have a safe place. Well, here's also the trick, though, is as you get older, you have less tolerance for the bullshit. <laughs> yes. And so it really has to be right. Yeah. Because otherwise, yeah. who gives a shit? You'll, yeah. You and I could just go to a spa somewhere. That's it's right. like, why do we need anybody? <laughs> you know, we could just go and, That's, like, you know, go cross country, drive yeah. cross country and go sit, you know, in Yosemite. Yeah. That's so, exactly so true because the more time you have to make the right decision, the more independent you are. So it really has to be the right fit. But intuitively, you chose the father for Rafi because this is him at his best. I mean, who would have known that he just... My picture of him is with the cloth hanging out of a pocket and a toy. She's talking about here. my husband and showing up at, at her house <laughs> right, with, with Rafi, and he had a toy in his front pocket. And, no, and, he, and he, had, um, he had a burp cloth hanging right, out of his right, right. pocket. And he's like ready to go. That was his, that right. was his version of the right. diaper bag. It was just that he was yes. just going to use all of his pockets. He's like, yeah, but it worked, and it doesn't matter. And, you know? and, and he just owned it. Mm -hmm. He just took on the role so beautifully. And I, I think that we choose our mates for reasons that we don't really fully understand until we, it manifests itself into what it's supposed to be. Oh, it's a long game. It's, a, it's, yeah, it's it very much definitely. a long game. And I think, it, I think things are revealed. It's like every chapter is new. And I think the thing that he did for me which I will be grateful for forever, is that 
my greatest fear about becoming a parent, not just even having Rafi, but I think my greatest fear my whole life was that I wouldn't have a career, was that I would, I was very aware of the sacrifices my mom made and a lot of women in, Mm -hmm. in her world and in my family and and, there, and you can see it in right. statistics. It's right. like, you know, the, you know, women that pause to have families or to work from home, mm-hmm. you know, for a while, you know, they basically, like, take themselves out of, you know, getting promotions yeah. and getting pay increases. And it really is hard to make up that time. Yeah. And it's not fair. It really isn't fair. And I was really, I need to work to feel alive and to feel mm-hmm. like I'm sort Reductive. of being propelled yeah. forward in life. and. I was really afraid that I wouldn't be able to do that, but I found somebody um, that was right for me because he is an equal partner and mm. he is really supportive of me working and, and he's very present in her life. So it's really, so my greatest fear was sort of never realized because he's, yeah. he's the right father, you know, yeah. and the right partner. It's so important. So this 50... That is so huge. Yes, let's it's talk about so it. It's so huge in, in a woman's life. And I can tell you that there's countless stories of people's transformation and reinvention through 50 to 55 that I've heard through the years and recognized myself in my life. And I'm just so excited about your version of it because it's already a unique take on yeah. here you are and the story is unfolding and I think but in the next few years there's going to be another story on how you've transformed through this period of time when yeah. people are shutting down sort of changing their skin almost and here you are you're blossoming and productive and the future is just sort of like what now? And that is so exciting and so full of hope and sort of positive energy for people to listen to and to watch. And I think you're a perfect example for anybody whose story may be different, but that there is nothing that's impossible that you can really aim for whatever it is you really want to do And it may take little twists and turns, and it may go up and down and have all of that stuff happen. Mm -hmm. And when you come out the other side, that you've gone through this journey, your journey really is the highest level of the expression of who you're supposed to be. And this is, your story is so uplifting. And and it didn't go, you know, easily, but it, it... is in the end so unique and uplifting that I'm sure so many women are going to be taken to a new place for what you've done. Well, thank you for saying that. It's really, it really means the world to me. But I think that, I don't know what that chemical change is that happens when we fall in love. There's like a hormone that's released. Is yes. it serotonin or something yes. like that? Yes, It's like they call it the, the, love, the right. love hormone. Right. And... Um, it just makes you happy, it makes you really happy. And I think that for me, what makes me really happy and gives me energy is just identifying what my desire is. And I think that we have to desire things, otherwise we die. Yeah. When we lose desire for things, it doesn't have to be a partner, it doesn't have to be sex, it doesn't have to be food. I think that it's like 
just paying attention to the things that we observe in our lives that give us that trigger of desire, mm -hmm. that make us feel a, a longing. Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes that's for a home. Sometimes it's for, you know, a pair of shoes. It's like, it doesn't, sometimes it's for just rest and just being by the ocean. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something I am addicted to, is that, yeah. is like when I feel that feeling, it's like it can even be something small, yeah. like working on my book now and figuring out just the right title for it. Because... It is about this pursuit of beauty in the world. And it's not just beauty from a, a kind of conventional point of view. It's seeing things in the world that just make me feel alive. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have different versions of that. Yeah. And I think we have to sort of really reconcile ourselves with what those different versions are. I remember early on, many, many years ago, I was doing a freelance job for someone who had an assistant we were talking about how she was training them or something, and she sort of said, you know, all she wants to do is be on the cover of a magazine. And, and I said, you know, well, and I remember even being as a young person, I said, well, did she say, you know, did she say what she wants to be on the cover of a magazine for? And she said, I asked her, and she didn't know. And I was <laughs> like, I remember thinking, like, that's not desire, right. you know? That's, that's just, like, needing to be right. famous or right. just needing to be seen. But... I think it's knowing the difference. Yeah. It's knowing the seed of our desire and caring about that and really feeding it because that's what really makes, I think that that's mm -hmm. why you, God bless you, Norma, every year you look younger. Oh, yeah. You do. Yes, you do. And it's like, it's just really, it's just astonishing to me because I remember that shoot meeting you and now seeing you. And I think it's also because I know you and you, you share, you genuinely share yourself with me. And I am grateful for that. But I think that there is this, this sort of like lust for being here mm -hmm. and really being able to kind of like, you know, get through the twists and turns yeah. and sort of looking at it as an opportunity and not as some kind of an impediment. No. Like you, I, I mean, I don't even know how you work out every day. I think that that is just, but it's a discipline. Yeah. And, and it's love for it. One of the points about serotonin, just to go back to that. So serotonin, Is that the love drug? Well, serotonin is the feel-good sort of chemical that, that we have in our bodies. And it drops up and down. It could be affected by hormones. It could be affected by a number of things, stress, loss. But one of the things that I've interviewed a lot of doctors about hormones and serotonin, and one of the things that everybody has to know is that you can build the serotonin in your body yourself by doing workout, doing things that make you feel good. That make you feel good. And so as you were talking about the serotonin, look at the coincidence that you have in your life. So around 50, there's challenges with serotonin, right? There's a lot going on. There's with challenges with all the onins. Yeah. But, <laughs> it's like but, literally. So, but that one, but look what this gift is that you have every day you look at this baby mm -hmm. and what joy what serotonin booster do you have every day you have this chemical booster without any drugs no now what 50 year olds unless they're looking at grandchildren if they get a chance and how long do they but you can see that she's like looking she's like every, listening to the happy radio station yeah. all the time well that's what so that's what you get you're having this chemical infusion of 
this love drug booster, you know, mind enhancer. You have everything every time you leave the house in the morning and every time you come home. And how fabulous is that? Look at that. That's really... She's pure love. She but, really is. And so in your 50s, this is not something women normally get. And so you're having, because I look at you, and you know, you're talking about the way I look. I look at you, and I've told you this before, you look more beautiful, more radiant, and empowered, too, by your experience. So kind of you. But seriously, and I, as you were talking about serotonin, because serotonin has so much to do with what appears to be our spirit, our, you know, that mm-hmm. liveliness, that yeah. curiosity. Light. And you're having this, I have to be your next door neighbor. I have to come, like, <laughs> I need a peek. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of people do. I mean, I think that it's just, like, worth dropping in at the house or bringing her by here so you can just get some... Get some, get the buzz, some, some get some runover buzz, from juice. her. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but it's it was interesting. She's um, the other thing that's really amazing, and I think I needed this at the stage of my life too. When I did have fears about aging, especially in my industry, where there aren't a lot of examples of older mm-hmm. women that are thriving and getting lots of different kinds of opportunities and feeling challenged, and um, and the ones that are, I'm really indebted to them. You know, for sort of setting an example for the rest of us. But I think the thing that she has done for me, my daughter, is so fascinating to see a young brain. It's like it's like all of a sudden she'll notice screws on, you know, sort of pieces of furniture and she wants to know how it works. And it's mm. like her brain, all the synapses are starting to connect and she's learning about things and she understands what the sky is. And the sky isn't just the sky, it's just this magnificent thing. And it's like it makes you look and observe the world yeah in this very magical way and in this very kind of expansive way, you see how small we are, you know, mm-hmm. in, this, in this sort of universe of miracles and incredible kind of acts of kindness and bravery and all these things. And it's just you figure out that, you know, you are contributing to this. Yeah. And yeah. I am just trying to be a good sort of steward of everything that she needs to, like, know and have and learn and... You know, it's kind of amazing. But she's also very independent. I think the thing that, this is also advice that another mother, mom friend gave to me. I think I had a lot of worries being a fully formed adult, having a child at 49 years old. I was so worried that my world was going to get small. And she said, no, it's the exact opposite. When you have a child, everything expands. And she was right. Everything in, so expands. So in what way? It just made me, it made me more creative. I wanted to write more. I wanted to yeah. be, I felt more motivated about work. I felt more motivated about my podcast. And I felt like I wanted to give more. I wanted to be, you know, yeah. start doing these vintage sales for, you know, charity. And it's like, you find this, you find the spaces mm-hmm. to sort of, yeah. you know, bring things in. I was reading more, which is so interesting, yeah. you know, and, you know, rereading all the, all the original sort of like Nora Ephron, you know, you know, sort of like essays from at the Esquire days. And, and I think that that's just the, I think you realize it makes you feel yeah. alive. You look what you did and what you experienced only tells you how much more you're capable of. Yeah. I mean, that experience is so powerful and it shows your power it shows your abilities that what can't you do 
Well, let's also just talk about one thing that I didn't mention, but it's really important to mention. I had got pregnant with Rafi in March, um, at the end of March. In December, the end of December, I had a lumpectomy before I got pregnant with Rafi. So I just went in for a routine mammogram. Everybody, early detection is really important for breast cancer. Getting your mammograms is really important, at least to me. And I had a calcification development in my left breast, and I had to go in for two different biopsies. And here I was planning. I'd found my doctor. I had, you know, done all the, I, I was starting the IVF preparation. I was going to, you know, have my embryo transfer, and all of a sudden I got a, a shitty mammogram, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I thought the whole thing was off. I was like, I'll be dead in, in a year. You know, you start <laughs> thinking, no, you go thinking, that you, know, you go I to know. these places. I it's know. really frightening. And I was very lucky, and I ended up having a lumpectomy. It was not cancerous, but the doctor that I worked with, Dr. Amber Guth at NYU, who's amazing, she just took it out, and she gave me the thumbs up to move forward, and you know, because it's, it's uh, talking about hormones. Yeah. When you go through IVF, you have to go on hormones. Yeah. And it could have all been over. Yeah. And it wasn't. And I think that when you see those kinds of hurdles, and they come up for other, everybody in different, mm-hmm. in, in different forms, in different shapes, right. you just kind of have to go through it. You have to keep going. You have to keep going. You have to keep going. The lumpectomies, I mean, I've had several in my life. And... Um, it's really an unbelievable experience because once you have that diagnosis, you need to have this, we need to check this. You, you're on alert. You're already, you're okay, cancer. Cancer's in my life. This is what I have to deal with. You've, all, you've played out every scenario. And then you sit in waiting rooms with other women who actually are in the same position you're in or they have cancer. And so you're coloring in coloring books with them to calm you down, and you're in like this, and everybody's wearing the same dressing gown. And it's so humiliating. It's, it's disturbingly humiliating, and it's so frightening on a level that we, we, it's in the zone where you go blank. You enter that zone and you tune out until you find out what's going to happen, right? You go into this no man's land of purgatory, whatever it is, yeah. I'm, I'm here. And I just several times had been, again, I had to go back and it had gone through the same kind of thing. And you sit in a room and all you do is you look around the room and every woman in the room is conjuring up all of the same stories that you're conjuring up in your head. And nobody's talking to each other because it's so frightening and private at the same time. And there's very little acknowledgement. And I think that just the sort of role that our breasts play in a woman's life and our identity, and I think a lot Mm -hmm. of women have very, you know, deep feelings about their breasts Mm -hmm. and, and, and just, you know, how they look and and how they feel and the, and the role that they play in their lives and their identity. But I will say to everything that you said about the environment and the feeling that you have, you know, with other women that are going through the testing process, the morning that I, because I was, the morning I was having the lumpectomy, I'll never forget this. And I think it's great. It's a great thing to talk about when you are in this situation. And inevitably, we are all there at some point yeah, in our lives. Yeah. Whether as, you know, the person that is going in for the surgery or, or the person someone, that you yeah. see, 
And it was so morose. And they were the two nurses. I'm in my hideous dressing gown with those socks. And it's like, you know, you're, I think you're, you're wearing the paper underwear. It's just all so undignified. You're not wearing any makeup. You haven't eaten. You look like shit. And it's just like, and they're like, you know, they're walking me to the operating room. And I walk past one of those little cubbies where they have other women waiting to be led to yeah. their operation. And, and it's a really, like, dark, you know, sort of, not dark, mm. quiet, you know, sterile corridor. And we're walking, and it's silent. And I walk by, and I see this woman sitting in her little cubby, and she's just, like, you know, right. really morose. And I just looked at her, and I go, isn't this great? <laughs> <laughs> she just, like, it broke, her, it broke her out of this, like, sort of mood. And I was just, like, because we're both in the same situation. And me and the two nurses and she, mm-hmm. we all just started laughing and I needed that yeah, laugh so yeah. much before I went in yeah. there and laid you down for the surgery. Much. I was like, isn't this great? Yeah. <laughs> and just to break the ice, and I just felt like I could feel that connection yeah, with her yeah. when we were both just like kind of holding hands, yeah. even though we weren't near each other. Yeah. And you just need that. It's very lonely. And so lonely. It's, it's very isolating in a way because... The people around you love you, right? And they are there for you, but they're also afraid. They're also afraid something's happening to you or what if this goes bad or what? And so they're not sure how to express whatever they're feeling. And so you realize that and you recognize that. But the real point of this conversation is here we are, two people in a room, completely different age groups, and how many other women do we know who have been through a similar situation? Our breasts are... More than not. So, yeah, our breasts are so connected to the stress we take in, the products we consume, things we put on our bodies, things... Also, that- young self-hatred. I, had small, I have small breasts, and I remember as a young girl feeling embarrassed that I should have bigger right. breasts because society told me that small breasts weren't what men right, wanted right. or people wanted. You want big breasts. There's so much attached yes, to the Yes, there's so much that, tied yeah, up in there. So much. And so I really, uh, the topic of breasts, the, how our breasts are so sensitive to what's happening to us internally and externally is very complicated. And we know some of that. And we know healthy lifestyle certainly can help, but it definitely and genetics. Is, I mean, a uh, lot of it and is. genetics, but it definitely is so common and such a big part of every woman's life. Because if it's not you, it's somebody close to you, somebody you know. This conversation 100%. is every woman's conversation, and I think that your story is so good. So if anybody is having to sit in one of these waiting rooms or on the way to get a lumpectomy, they have to think about what you said so they could lighten the load on the brain because it really, really is that you need to have. That's why I love you so much. You need to have that sort of fuse. I'll never forget the look on her face. She was like, (laughs) she was just like shocked out of this, like, because I know what what was going through her mind. It was the same thing that was going through my mind. Like, 
you're making the plans after you get the results of the lumpectomy about, okay, I'm going to have to go through radiation or, or chemotherapy. I'm going to have to have a mastectomy. And it's like you're thinking about those right, things. Right. And it's like that's not the reality. Yeah. That's not the reality yeah. right now. Let's just take it one step, step at a time, at time and let's just like somehow try and make a joke out of this absurd situation that we're both wearing paper underwear. (laughs) We're both wearing paper (laughs) underwear right now. And yes, I know. And, and the, and there's something about being braless in a public space because hospitals are strangers. It's like, there you are braless in a public space and feeling like, you know, you're vulnerable, but I think that's the word for it. Yeah, You're all of the all of the situations that you experienced in this, I mean, very intense period of time, really are just an example of your strength and your perseverance and your will to. I think it's the reminder of hope that you were talking about being hopeful. Is that my life could have been something completely different, and it ended up not being, and. I don't take that for granted at all. I think that we can't. And I think that they can be small joys or huge, you know, life-changing joys. Oftentimes, the small ones are the life-changing yeah. ones. And I think that that's the thing that I try to, I try to actually, like, make the focus mm-hmm. of my day. And I think it's always just making a list of all the things that I, like, when I go back to that word desire, it's that, you know, what do I want? Mm-hmm. You know, what do I want to make next? And I think... That's the really exciting thing. And it doesn't have to be, you know, necessarily as big as a new career. Mm-hmm. It's just how you kind of dimensionalize yourself and feel like you are evolving, evolving as a person on this planet. Because now the other thing that comes with crossing over this 50 threshold is you're on the other side now. Now you're sort of like having these ide- these sort of like inner conversations, inner dialogues with yourself or other people that you trust about death. And death becomes something that is fascinating, is frightening. And I think when you have a one-year-old and you're on the other side of 50, it really clarifies so much about how I use my time and who I spend my time with. And that's something I'm incredibly disciplined about Mm. now. Yeah, it's critical to think about the value of each day. And I really... It adds up. uh, I think the post-50, to me, is such a big beginning. And for you, it's truly that. That the idea of looking at it on the other side, I think you should think about as like the next plateau where everything is so clear... You are so informed. You know more now than any other time, and you're going to keep knowing more. And you look healthy and fit, and you are. You stay informed. You learn about everything for yourself, for your health, for everything you do. That I believe what you do now is going to be more valuable and more powerful than anything you've done today, and you've done magic today. So I really see the fact that you appreciate that every day is really important for you and your Well, we have a reset every day. And it's like you have a chance to sort of get it right. Absolutely. And I think that even when we have these horrible things happen to us, I think that every morning that we wake up, it is that sort of gift. It's like, okay, what am I going to create today? I think 
do you remember who said this? I love this quote so much, and it says, everything that you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear. And I think that that is... It's an Instagram quote that I see so much, but it is one of my favorites. It's true. Yeah. It's really true. And I think when you remove all of the restrictions, all the boundaries, there is no limit to what you can sort of have and create in your Mm -hmm. life. I mean, look who is our president right now. I mean, I just think that I am sure that... He probably never believed in a million years that somebody like him could become president. But look who is president right now. And I think that there is, that's a negative way of kind of spinning it, but I think that there is this sense of possibility in our lives. And I think if we can get out of the way of the fear that we have, that we have inherited, that we have created ourselves, that we see around us, and just get over it or through it, Mm -hmm. I think that it is really exciting. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think for you, your work and your story and your writing is even going to be more, it's a work in progress. But I just know the inspiration for not just your generation, but the next generations coming up, because you've entered this fearless room. And there aren't many people in that room And people gravitate towards what's possible, and they hope through what's possible. And I think you, for sure, are such a beautiful example of it. And I really, I, I appreciate everything about you, and I'm so happy for you. And I can't wait to see how you unfold in this new part of your life. I am Me too. Yeah, I have to say at 74 I feel like I'm doing so much, so many great things that I love and I'm feeling wonderful about life. And I imagine you floating into 74 also. <laughs> just doing your thing sprinting but you'll be sprinting along and I know it so when I see you going it's not the other side it's this other level this higher place I I think that's true too it's such a great place you are gonna love this I promise you this is gonna be the best time of your life well you're such an incredible example for me and for all of us I love you I love you very much Mm -hmm.